Hello, and welcome to the Talent Empowerment Podcast, where we lift up people leaders so they can lift up their organizations. I'm your host, Tom Finn, co-founder and CEO of LegUp. Together, we'll learn how to drive people innovation, how to transform HR into people ops, and how to secure buy-in to disrupt the status quo. And as I like to say, it's finally time to stop smoking on airplanes and update your people strategy. Let's transform your organization and move from a culture of talent management to talent empowerment. This week's episode of the Talent Empowerment Podcast is brought to you by LegUp's Talent Insurance, an inclusive people development platform designed to help HR leaders empower their people through one-on-one professional coaching. With results like a 66% improvement in avoiding burnout, a 54% jump in leadership skills, and a 73% increase in job satisfaction, LegUp guarantees improved employee well-being, productivity, and retention. In fact, they ensure it. Your people stay or they pay. Visit LegUp, that's L-E-G-G-U-P dot com to learn more. And without further ado, this is Talent Empowerment. Welcome to the Talent Empowerment Podcast, ladies and gents, where we lift up people leaders so you can lift up your organization. I am your host, Tom Finn, and today we have a passionate and strategic HR business partner as our guest, Cassie Whitlock. Cassie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. So exciting to spend my afternoon with you today. So thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you with us. Um, And for those of you that haven't had a chance to meet Cassie yet, she serves as the Director of Human Resources at a fabulous company called Bamboo HR. If you haven't uh, been familiar with them yet, go ahead and check them out. They're fantastic. She has over 20 years of HR experience with a bachelor's degree in business management and accounting and a master's degree in HR. She loves the intersection of business and humans and believes that when companies really focus on the human aspect of their people, the people in turn focus on the needs of the business. She enjoys her work most when she can take her talent in data and processes and human psychology and make someone's day just a little bit better. She's a proud mom of two and absolutely loves being the life of the party as a nana to four and soon to be five wonderful grandchildren. We are so excited to have you on the show. So I've got to start with an easy one. Uh, Accounting, HR, how do we go from being an accountant to being a senior leader in HR? Yeah, it's it's just a natural journey, right? It really is. For sure. You know, how how did I get to where I'm at today? Um, You know, the, the short story is I worked in the SMB space, small, medium business. And when you do that, you're often wearing multiple hats. And, and so I started out in the accounting world, but also did human resources. And over time, I just recognized I had a bigger passion for the challenges of, of people and how to help businesses be more successful on that level. That's the, the, the short story or yeah, the short story, you know, the long story, the human story is, you know, I, I found myself at a place where I was a single parent, two children, and I had no education. I had no career. I had nothing. And yet I needed to feed my wonderful children. And so how on earth do I do this? And I literally took five minutes and said, wait a minute, I think people in banking are able to put food on the table. I'm going to go be an accountant. And so I just decided and I went to school and got a degree and started to work. And that, again, as I was in small and medium businesses working and seeing the challenges that 
teams face, that individuals face. I, I just really fell in love with the opportunity that HR has to not just help businesses be successful, but to influence humans, to make society better because of the work and the lens that we have as we look across an organization at, at all of the aspects and not just focusing on any one team that might be our, our domain of expertise. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful introduction, and I, I think many uh, parents out there can relate um, to to those feelings of nervousness and um, trying to provide for your family, um, and uh, it's it drives us right. It drives all of us to to do something different and take those risks, maybe that we wouldn't have taken uh, before, as now you know members of a of a growing family, which is wonderful. So I guess I wonder for for those that are in the small and medium sized business space that are in HR, what are the challenges um, that, that are unique to that space versus somebody that works at a global organization? Uh, I think they're the first one is kind of that talent of wearing multiple hats and acknowledging that it can be a little bit of a lonely journey when you're kind of the only one that does all of the things. It can feel overwhelming. It can. It can be hard to make sure that you've got the right network and resourcing to help you brainstorm and ideate and really innovate to tackle the problems inside your business. It can feel that way, um, which means you need to be proactive and intentional about ensuring that you get that support and those resources around you. And yeah, it can look like people inside your organization, but it can also be your professional network outside of that company and, and making sure that you've got those connections, that you schedule time to reach out and have a chat with another professional, talk through a problem that you're puzzling and see what advice or perspective that they can share based on their journey experience. So that's that's the number one challenge. The, the second one I think about is um, it's true of any size of company that do you have your base set and is it running well? So I think of kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what are the basic things that have to be done and have to be done well? Well, we all start with payroll. Am I paying my people on time? That's a critical one. But really looking at all of the hygiene issues of how do you run a business? How do you take care of workers? And is that working well for my business? Uh, A lot of times we'll kind of do an 80-20 where we've got 80% of it working well and the 20%, do we ever take the time to really go think about it and look at that? And I think that there's some real magic in that last 20% that sometimes we don't ever choose to focus on and unlock. I think that's the difference between uh, kind of just checking the box and getting things done and really being intentional about making a difference, about recognizing these aren't just workers, these are humans. And are we taking care of the people that are helping us build our company or are we just doing the tasks that running a business requires us to do? So regardless of your size, um, I always start with the foundation. Do you have that solid and in place? So payroll, important. Yes. <laughs> uh, very important. Um, you know, I put another one under, under that umbrella too, which is uh, compliance. Compliance, important, right? Staying in compliance, very important. Um, making sure we're avoiding legal issues, also important. Um, but maybe not the human side that you're talking about. So you talked about this 80-20 sort of rule. What, what would be some of those components in the 20%? Those like we're going the extra mile, we're thinking through things differently, we're innovating. Um, could you give me a couple of examples? 
Uh, yeah. So one example I can think of and, and one that I've really enjoyed as a just a personal experience as a professional, uh, think about the idea of anti-harassment training inside your organizations. Number one, it's just the right thing to do to teach people how to behave um, and have a good work experience. But there are states and federal laws that require us to maintain certain uh, professional expectations in the workplace. So anti-harassment training, got to do it. Uh, is it something that you just do for once a year and the box gets checked? Or are you taking it from saying, yes, this is an HR or compliance task? Um, and are we looking at it as, hey, it's my job to help people be successful. Yes, there are HR tasks to be done, but our real job is to help the people of our organization be successful. And so what does that mean about anti-harassment training? Great, we've done it, check the box. But have you done it in a way that it engages people and they want to build a culture and interact in ways that support the principles and outcomes that you're trying to accomplish there? Um, I had a, a fun experience. So at Bamboo HR, we thought carefully about that. We care about culture. We care about employee experience. And I thought if we care about that, respect has to be at the center of everything we do, including anti-harassment. And instead of going through an experience of showing horrific, like skin curling, like these are the bad things that happen. Yeah, some Instead of those of videos are terrifying, Cassie, right? I mean, they're, that we they're watch, horrific. They're absolutely terrifying. I mean, you just, to me, I think, where were your parents on this one, right? I mean, because it does come from sort of how we were raised in some way. Um, and, and very important that we understand the rules of business as well. But uh, some of those videos are, like you said, kind of uh, makes your toes curl a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost traumatic sometimes to even watch them. And, and while, yes, it talks about the outer edge of, you know, what crosses the line and what's out of bounds, what it doesn't do is talk about what we're trying to build. How do we engage in respect? How do we make it safe for people to be not perfect? Now, again, there's out of bounds and inappropriate, or there's not perfect and can I learn from something? Can I, can I make a mistake, be called out on it in a way that I want to learn and do better? So we took that opportunity at Bamboo HR. And in the process of doing it, it, it was really focused, yes, anti-harassment, but really about respect. What does that mean? What does that look like? And I remember, so once a year managers go through it and then once a year all employees go through it, including managers. But I had an individual reach out to me. They raised their hand and say, hey, can I get some time on your calendar? I'm like, sure. We met, what's up, what can I help you with? And this individual said, I think that I might have done something counter to our culture of respect. And it might be, you know, a problem as I was looking at the anti-harassment training. And first of all, I was stunned. Who yeah. raised their hand and says, I think I broke a rule. Nobody does that. Nobody does. Nobody does that. The self-awareness of this employee to say, hold on a second, I think I might be in a little bit of a gray area here. It's fabulous. Oh, for sure. So to, to acknowledge it, but then to ask for help and to want to make it right. Wow. So it, it was a great experience. And so we had a, a really good conversation. You know, they, they shared what had happened, what their intentions were, uh, what they thought others might have experienced 
which is what the training did, allowed them to step back and go, oh, I wonder if someone might have experienced it this way. Um, and so we had a great conversation, talked about how to, you know, step back with a few individuals and make sure that they had an opportunity to give feedback on that experience. But I loved it because it helped a person become better. This individual obviously cared the whole time about what it feels like to work and to be treated with respect. And they saw a quick glimpse of how they could do better. And instead of just saying, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep going. They raised their hand and said, help me make sure I do this well. That's right. And, and the lesson here is there's a couple of them. The first lesson is let's try to look for the positive in our trainings and our education, right? Instead of the negative. Here are all the things that could go wrong. What are the things that could go right? Uh, in terms of respect. And I love that message um, for all of our partners out there that are in people operations or or just people leaders that are managing teams. Let's start with not the negative, but the positive of how do we encourage and embrace this culture of of respect. And then if if that's sort of the company piece, the second piece, which is even more valuable, is that this employee felt psychologically safe and in a safe place, this, this environment that you personally created that made them feel like it was okay for them to raise their hand and say, I, I might have goofed uh, just, <laughs> just a little bit. And that they felt okay, that they weren't going to get fired, that this wasn't going to be spread, that this wasn't going to ruin their career at your company. And I think that's a message to, to all of our HR partners out there that we have to create that space um, of safety for people to be vulnerable. Uh, especially if you're in HR. Absolutely. You know, you, you said something there where you said that I created it. Um, I think there's two pieces here. One, we as HR professionals have to personally build a brand of safety, that people know that we're there to help. Unfortunately, all too often, there might be a stereotype out there that people are afraid of HR. And so we owe it both to ourselves and to our employees, but even into the kind of the spirit of the work that we have to do to make sure that we're building trust and psychological safety across the organization. And then second is recognizing that it takes everybody to get there. Even if I had created safety for this individual, if there was backbiting and um, you know unhealthy competition in the team, or if they'd already learned that it's not safe to make mistakes in my team or in my organization, the opportunity never would have existed. And so we're talking about an example of kind of compliance and how do we go that extra 20%, but it's all part of that bigger vision of do we actually care about people? Are we here to help people be successful and they in turn help our business be successful? Yeah, critically important. You've got to have that great partnership on the team uh, at the team level and then with the HR uh, business partner as well. Um, so what is then the real job of, of people leaders? What, what is the job? Um, ultimately, our job is to help a business be successful. And, and you've got multiple levels of that. You're going to have the strategic level, you know, mission, vision, values. Where are we going? Program management, day-to-day uh, -day tactics, as well as just where are the individuals? How do you meet them where they're at? How do you help them get to the next level? How do you do it both individually, but then at scale for the organization? 
Um, and in the middle of all of that, you've got business complexities like, I don't know, a pandemic hits or that little you thing. Know, something like the, the great resignation is disruptive to the labor market. Um, and, and there's no silver bullets to any of this. There's no one right answer. Um, so part of the job is being agile, being flexible, being creative, um, making sure you're good at zooming out. You know, popping your head up above the weeds and seeing where's the business going, where are the leaders going, where are the employees at, and you know what's the number one problem to solve today, and and make sure that you solve it well rather than squirrel. And tomorrow I'm working on a different problem. You know, at some point you really have to prioritize and and think through kind of an essentialism mindset. Yeah, and one of the challenges that I think um, professionals in this space face is that you you end up walking into a leadership meeting when you pop your head up and you start to look at the macroeconomics of a business. And you walk into these meetings and now you have competing priorities, right? You've got all these different uh, maybe division leaders or folks in different roles um, that are there to have different expertise and domain expertise. But then you walk in as this this wonderful generalist trying to pull it together. How do you How do you get everybody to fall in line behind great ideas? How do you build this culture at the leadership level of supporting each other, rolling out new products and services for your employees and building that culture? Well, it's a journey. I don't know that you ever arrive. Right? It takes constant work. It takes constant thought and care. I like to start with the idea of mission, vision, values. I, I, I'm in love with that model and it's very, very simple. And so sometimes it's easy to overlook it. But when you think about starting with why, do you even know what your company is trying to accomplish, right? What's your mission and vision? Values is a, a huge determinator in what does culture look like inside your organization? And if these things are true, how does that apply down into your strategies, your programs, how you solve your problems? If you can get that red thread to run through all of the things. Suddenly it's cohesive uh, and everything builds on each other rather than being disjointed and creating dissonance across the organization. Um, an example of that. Years ago, uh, we were working on our small but mighty HR team and talking about benefits, right? Benefits, it's a 101 of HR, you gotta have them. Health insurance, dental insurance, Blah, blah, blah. Create your list. Talent insurance. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Shameless yeah. plug. <laughs> uh, check the box, right? I have benefits. But what do benefits mean when you look at your company mission and vision? What do they mean about your company values? And we spent some time talking about, okay, we care about the humans who work here. We put a mission statement behind our benefits program. It's simple. Benefits that benefit you. We spent time talking about the definition of benefit and, and what it should feel like, um, the experience that we want employees to have, the utilization, the accessibility, um, how we embrace the diverse needs of our teams. And so with that, we, we step back to say, all right, let's get values assigned to this. One of our company values is enjoy quality of life. We thought that is at the heart of what benefits are, is to improve the quality of your life. And looking at a total employee well-being perspective. So for us, we developed five benefit pillars. 
where yes, we look at like your physical health, we look at social and emotional, but we're also looking at financial fitness. We're looking at um, community well-being. Anybody who's impacted by what we do outside of our, our four walls, what about career excellence? How should benefit programs support that? And, and as we did that, as we defined our pillars and we put kind of purpose statements behind each one, it really allowed us to be a far more strategic in not just offering benefits, but in making sure that we're achieving a higher goal and outcome. It helped us to make the choice from, well, do we just offer one health insurance plan? Two, three, like what about options is good? What's too much? So I don't want decision paralysis. You know, and we really thought about here are the needs. How do we accomplish it through our benefit plans? The other thing we would do is look through the lens of if we want to have a benefit inside our package, does it hit at least three out of our five pillars? Because if it doesn't, let's be honest, we're wasting our time. Is it's not making a meaningful contribution towards employee quality of life. And so we built a, a rubric and a scorecard and, you know, we do all things to help us look at it, analyze it and measure it. But it's really fun at the end of the day to step back and look at, are we achieving the outcomes that we want? So one of the places that we did this and, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit type A, I have an accounting background, so you can probably see it as you hear me talking, but you know, mission, vision, values, pull that down into a benefits program. And then I would even take it smaller we did this behind our 401k plan. Behind a retirement plan. You, you put mission, yes. vision, and values behind your retirement plan. Behind 401k. How boring is that? I mean, this sounds, this is bananas. Uh, <laughs> so mission, vision, and values for a 401k plan. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm sitting down. Go for it. Yeah, here we are. So I, I just went and started to do research. I mean, hello, your best tool is probably Google. Get out there and see what other people have said. But as I... As I researched, I went back to this mission, vision, and values. And as I talked to a few people, some of them outright told me, you're crazy. You do not want to create, intentionally create additional fiduciary responsibility above and beyond what the government already requires. You're going to kill yourself by doing this. And, and I stepped back and said, no, I disagree. I think I can do it it's going to take some thoughtfulness. So we did. We were very, very careful to craft a mission statement for our 401k plan. And it's really talking about things like should be easy to use. It should be easy to engage with, and it should be able to meet the needs of different kinds of employees. I think a good 401k plan accomplishes that already without creating a legal or fiduciary responsibility. Um, but as we set out that mission and we built three pillars, one of them was ease of participation. One of them was education. One of them was um, versatility to meet diverse needs. And, and then we started to hold ourselves accountable to it. And it was really fun to see the kinds of things that we imagined and dreamt of around employee education, the kind of technology that we chose to support it, the way the plan design worked. And then as we were measuring it and had our 401k committee meetings every quarter, you know, pretty soon we were the leading in our peer group through our 401k plan. I thought, wow, like for our peer group, we have a top plan in the country. 
and not just uh, in how it was designed, but we were holding ourselves accountable to participation. So I'm looking at my salaried, generally speaking, higher earning individuals and what's their participation rate. But what about my hourly team members? And are they participating at an equal level? Right, you already see this in your non-discrimination testing. And do you have high earners who are over-rewarded and the government tries to manage that? But we decided behind our mission and vision that we were gonna manage it ourselves and to see nearly identical participation levels. It told me that we were educating people, that they saw the value of it, they got it. Um, we married it to other programs and benefits so that they all worked well together. And it, it's just cool because I can step back and look at an individual and say, well, sometimes it's hard to really appreciate the value of that 401k plan now in 20, 30 years, you're absolutely gonna appreciate it. You know, am I holding my breath, hoping that Social Security is going to be there for me when I go to retire? We all are. No, I'm not. I, I'm holding my <laughs> breath. Yeah, uh, we well, all I, are a little bit. I hope it's there, but I'm not holding my breath on it. Right. I'm making other plans. And to know that we're helping our employees prepare for that day, regardless of how soon or far away it is. And, and to know that we're driving extraordinary, uncommon outcomes. And I think it comes back to the intentionalness of using a model like mission, vision, and values. I, that's part of why I love it. It's so simple. And yet the degree that you can take it to drive both your daily actions, but even your strategic outcomes, um, it stands the test of time. Well, this is strategy at its finest. Uh, and then implementation uh, that is executed uh, very, very well. So if you think about it, mission, vision, and values on its surface level is pretty straightforward. Most companies should have them. Um, and then taking it one step further to say, these are our benefits, mission, vision, and values. And then maybe a third step, if you will, to these are our 401k mission and vision. And this is how we want to work together, I, I think is brilliant. And, and it's a really nice playbook for really anyone. It, I don't think that matters if you have 10 employees or if you have 100,000 employees, um, it, it really doesn't matter. You can use this framework uh, to support employees. The, maybe the thing that jumps out to me the most that I've never heard before is that you were able to align high-paying salaried employees with hourly employees and match the contribution. I mean, that is beautifully done. For those of you in HR, uh, maybe you're not in HR and you don't get how hard that is, but that is um, some superhuman work because what happens is that people that aren't making as much money have more serious needs with the income that are for today. They have a harder time thinking about the future because they don't have enough money to invest in their retirement today. And that's okay. Um, hopefully it's a stepping stone for them as they grow their career, but it's really hard to manage um, from a leadership perspective. It is. And, and for me, it's at the heart of, you know, something that we're talking about socially a lot more now is this idea of equity. You know, what does an equitable experience look like in the workplace? It means how do I help somebody earning $16 an hour have the same retirement opportunities at somebody who's in a six figure income bracket? Right? They are different economics, and yet, how do I help them have the same opportunity? 
Yeah, and being able to do that on the 401k plan, again, is just um, really wonderful. So so kudos to your entire team, because uh, that is not a one-person uh, think tank. I would imagine that there are some other players in there that helped you along the way. Um, but I, I, I think that's a beautiful example uh, for all of us, that if you just take a step back and just take some thought and pen to paper, you know, fingers to, to type and just think a little bit, um, we can find these new ways of doing things that are, are really innovative, but also not, not super difficult uh, once we get the plan set. Yeah, it's, it's a willingness to take the time, right? I, we could have been done. We could have said, yep, we've got it. We've told everybody they're fine. They can choose. And we decided, no, if they're not using it, it's not a, it's not a true benefit. We think it matters. That's why we're offering it. So let's go make it count. I love it. I, I think it's fabulous. Now, now one of the things I think about, though, when I think about HR is that you, you end up having to take on a lot of different projects. Is there a project that you can think of in your history that's been sort of the biggest waste of time that you've taken on or been asked to take on? And you just you felt like, man, that, that, that one wasn't the most exciting or the most relevant to my business or my people. Wow, that is a hard question. I, I don't know that I have an an easy answer to that one. Um, I think that there's no bad project as long as you step back and learn from it, right? The concept of after action reviews, it comes out of the military lens where they go and do and then they come back and say, what happened? Did we like the outcomes? Who did what? You know, what would we do differently? And, and so regardless if there's something that you like or don't like, I think there's power in learning from that. Um, most often, you're probably like, did we identify the wrong problem? And it was a waste of time because we didn't do an effective root cause analysis and really get down to uh, the core problem. Is it, is it a motivator thing? I don't know what to do next. So, What's the next step in the process? We may have found yeah. the problem, but the process, I'm not sure what to do. And, and if you're not excited about the problem or you're really concerned that you can't solve it, you know, does it feel like a waste of your time? Your heart's not all in it. Um, so I, I don't think there's any bad project as long as you've learned from it, as long as it's helped you uh, to go forward. And, and, and from that lens, I think a lot of times we like to share things that went well, but we never talk about what didn't go well. What was, you know, what was a fail and the learnings that are embedded there? When I think of it through that lens, um, I had a recent experience where we were doing some significant change at speed. And I thought as a leader, I'd done a decent job of saying, here's what we're doing. Here's why. Um, but over time, I was not meeting the team's need by consistently repeating, this is what we're doing and this is why. Because in the day-to-day -day of getting bogged down, um, like I, we were active in change management, we were doing those things, um, but at the end of the day, the team was not having the experience that we wanted or that we had envisioned them having. And so, you know, did it feel like a waste of time, all the effort that I put into it? Yeah, because I didn't get the outcomes I wanted, but there was a ton of learning because I stepped back and talked to the team. Hey, what are you experiencing? What does that look like? When are you seeing that? What would you want to see instead? And then 
I start learning. I can see a different way of approaching it as a leader, um, as a leader of HR. And as long as I'm learning, I think there's massive value. Anymore, um, we are, work is becoming more and more creative, which means we've got to have time to not just think about what we're doing, but time to assess and evaluate if we're getting the outcomes we want. And uh, just being agile and, and pivot and learn from both what's going well, but more often what's not going well. Yeah, that that's great. And there's a framework that we just created uh, on the Talent Empowerment Podcast uh, that I just heard. So it starts with when you get a project, it starts with identify the problem, which is what I heard. And then once you've identified the problem, come up with a really thoughtful process and understand the steps that are going to take you through that process. And third, learn. Learn from it. Uh, and if you can understand the problem, you can identify a process, and you can learn, then really there is no project that you can't undertake and gain value from. That's my takeaway. I'm, I mean, I'm sticking to that. I'm going to double stamp your triple stamp. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, I think, I think it's super important. The, the other ones that I've heard, uh, that we use around, uh, at leg up, um, and that I've used in my career for a long time are, uh, military based as well. We use a nameless rankless debrief at the end of every project. And this was something I learned from the Navy SEALs. Uh, not that I was one, but I, I met a few. Um, and the nameless rankless debrief is exactly as you described it. After a mission is complete, you sort of uh, cover up your rank and you just freely discuss what could have gone uh, better, what we could have done differently, what could have been looked at from a different lens. And I think that can be really helpful. We do it all the time in our company. And then the other one that we use uh, is plus delta. So just what worked positive, what was positive about the meeting, what was positive about the project, what were the things we took away, and then what is the delta? So what was that learning? You know, what could we have done differently? Um, what could we have framed in a different way to be more inclusive, right? Uh, and so there are a couple of frameworks that people can use, you know, as they're thinking about projects and taking things on to make sure that we're constantly improving as we go. Yeah, there's, there's one piece I would add to that. We had uh, a member of, I think it's the Blue Eagles, right, from the, the Air Force. They're wicked cool flying skills and pilots. And, and they talked about how they do their after action reviews. And they came up with a hashtag, glad to be here. And it's this idea of, yeah, you have the after action review, but it's each person taking individual accountability and showing up and saying, here's what I did. Here's what I didn't do. And I'm glad to be here and solve this problem. And I, I think that's a magical piece at the end of not just saying, yep, it happened and it went well, but are you all in? Are you only here to win? Or are you help? Are you here to build? Are you here to help learn and, and reach these goals, you know, long-term as a team? And for us, that was pretty transformative. It became shorthand inside our organization for a way to be accountable, but for individuals to bring forward accountability rather than someone else calling it out of, hey, you showed up late. What's going on there? They're like, I showed up late. This is what I'm going to do to fix it. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I love that. Glad to be here. I feel like we can all use that every now and again, right? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Feels great. 
Well, well, that's that's wonderful, and I, I love sort of all of these different tips and tricks um, that you've shared. I, I feel like as we think about um, the role of HR, just really understanding those mission, vision, and values, and how to how to create systematic programming around them is really a rich conversation um, because I don't think we're all doing it um, in this space. And really just understanding that that is possible um, is a huge step forward for, for most folks. Um, so I've, I've got to ask you this. Um, if we were just meeting you and we didn't know something about you, what would we learn a couple months into working with you, Cassie? What would we learn about you personally or professionally that we wouldn't know on the surface? Yeah, uh, I, I think my most people can tell that I'm thoughtful, which some people find intimidating. I think the, the individuals that work with me start to realize I don't give up. I never quit. I might get stuck. I might not know the next step or the next answer, but I'm definitely an all-in person. When I'm in on it, I'm in for the good, I'm in for the bad. Uh, and I think that for me, that served me well in my life, but also in my career. It, it helps me to push back on things that tend to keep you down. It helps me to continue going forward. Sometimes all of our jobs can be thankless. Um, in HR, we tend to hear when things go wrong really, really loud. And when things go well, they're quieter. It's, it's a little bit less celebratory. And so that, that idea of never giving up uh, has served me really well working in, in the HR field and how I can go from a really discouraging conversation into one where somebody needs me to help them and I need to show up and have good energy and be listening to them. Um, and so that's a strength that I've got. Um, the other one that you actually find out super, super fast is I'm a Nana and I'm completely obsessed with these little people. And it, it's changed my perspective of the difference that I need to make in the world and how many opportunities I have to do it inside of my job. For example, random person goes into work, has a craptastic day, right? Is dumped on, treated disrespectfully. Like you just walk out with your head hanging down. They go home to their family, loved ones. And what is that experience like, right? I think about my little granddaughter, Emma. She's two and a half and just the world is hers. And what if one of her parents came home and felt that way? And what if inside our business, we could change that? What if we could provide a different experience and that human goes home and is excited to be around their family and their loved ones and helps them have a better day? And it's this idea of a, a can we create virtuous cycles to get that perpetual, like, let's just be better people. Let's have better experiences. Let's help each other. Um, that's what has always been in me as a human, but as a Nana, it's on fire. And it gets me excited about let's make a difference. We can make a difference. Uh, just take that first step, do it. Take the step and see where it starts to take you. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, what a what a beautiful way to wrap up the show today. Uh, a little personal information and just that reminder that we're all people with families and loved ones that we go home to and to treat each other with respect and love and admiration in the workplace is, is just uh, the bare minimum these days. 
uh, and the right way to do things. So thank you. Um, you may call her Cassie Whitlock. I think I'm going to start calling her Nana uh, from now on because I think that might be the, the go forward name. Um, Nana, where can we find you uh, on uh, social media? Can we connect with you on LinkedIn or what's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody wanted to track you down? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn, reach out and connect, send me a message. Um, I, I love to connect, to share, but also to learn from others. So don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, wonderful. And do not put Nana in the search uh, bar. It is Cassie Whitlock that you'll find her in, on LinkedIn under. Um, my friends, this has been an absolutely wonderful episode. And I told you right at the get-go, passion, strategy, business partner, accountant, uh, we got to the Nana part right at the end, uh, which I think was wonderful. So um, it is uh, it is my pleasure to have you uh, on the show, Cassius. Everybody uh, listening, uh, thanks you as well uh, for being on the show with us. Thank you so much. It's been a real treat and good luck to everybody out there. Well, thank you for joining the Talent Empowerment Podcast. I hope this conversation lifted you up so you can lift up your teams and organizations. Let's get back to people and culture together, and we'll see you on the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Talent Empowerment. For more information on our show and today's guests, head to the show notes or visit talentempowerment.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an opportunity to empower yourself and your people. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps the show grow. And a final thank you to our sponsor, LegUp, and their people development program, Talent Insurance. To learn more about how they guarantee retention, employee well-being, and employee performance through one-on-one professional coaching, visit legup.com. That's L-E-G-G-U-P dot com.